Well, welcome to another week of the uh, Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. I almost forgot the name of the show. Anyway, my name's Alon. And my name's Ara. And that guy over there. I'm Tony. Can we hear you, Tony? I am Tony. Excellent. Um, so. Why yeah. don't I introduce Tony? All right. You want to do that? Tony is, um, in fact, my attorney. I've heard that. For one whole month. An entire month. Yes. 30 days. And Tony's not a normal attorney. Actually, October's 31. Tony, do you feel like telling everybody what kind of attorney you are? I am a professional dating coach. That doesn't sound like attorney to me. You're right. It totally doesn't. <laughs> but uh, the attorney... The but it, it sounds much sexier than dating coach, doesn't I it? I am a consultant. I'm a high-paid professional consultant. And, All right. And Ara has been kind enough to let me stay at his house. Uh, but you also play video games, which is of advantage to me. I play... Um, not as many video games as, as I used to due to productivity levels, but I love video games. And I actually went to school and took game design in uh, about 10 years ago for what? for four months. I took a program called game design. I still owe um, my student loans Everybody a significant amount of money for that program. I had no idea Everyone's the level of nerd that you were bringing into this house. <laughs> I didn't know he would be one of us. He's, uh, I, I don't... I mean... Do we want to call ourselves nerds? Okay. Can I can I tell you some more? I have been for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also had a uh, for a little while a gaming blog called argamer.net that was all about augmented reality video games. And I thought it was going to make me rich and then I got lazy and I let it I neglected it until um, you know, the domain is now gone. But I thought it was going to be the greatest thing ever, but I just didn't realize how far away augmented reality was from becoming a mainstream video game platform. I think it'd be hard for that to become mainstream and still be as interesting as it is. Yeah. yeah. Tony lives 20 years in the future from us, <laughs> just so you know. That's, that's what I've learned, I think, by sitting with him for 20 minutes. Still waiting for hoverboards. He has the technology. Okay. Um, well, we've got a bunch to talk about today. As yeah. much as we feel like we don't have anything to talk about, there's actually several things on our plate. That's, that could not thrill me more. Okay. Now... Um, before we do that, I want to remind everyone about our website, chatterboxgameshow.com, which I promised would be updated soon and has not actually been updated. Still cooking? Uh, not quite ready yet. I don't know why. Quality takes time. But um, while we continue to do that, work on the site, you can always leave us a voicemail. Yes, you can. And you can do that by calling 480-4GAME21, or if you don't know... What letters are, that's 480-442-6321. All right. And, of course, you can email us uh, straight from the website as well. We're up there and our email addresses and all that. So, um, you know what I did yesterday is I visited the home of, um, of an indie game designer. I'm going to leave his name out because I don't know if he wants me revealing details about his particular game. So, I'm just going to speak about it nebulously. But um, we were talking about his efforts and... I realized that, I don't know if I'm starting the story off correctly, right? He has a game that has gone commercial, right? Trying to sell it. And I was talking to him about the sales curve for for this game. Right. Incidentally, did you know that there was a like publisher called The Sales Curve at one point? No. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, what I, what I mean by that, for those who aren't familiar with this, is basically... You know, how much did he sell and when and what were the related reasons for, for spikes and stuff, right? So it's like, and he's, oh. got, he's got his product on what platform? That's, that falls. So, so it releases, right? This, I'm going to describe the curve to you now. The game releases and uh, some people have heard about it. But what's weird is he would st- people would like interview him and there'd be some attention on him and then... Uh, when the, it came time for the game to be released, like a little bit before release, say, hey, guys, do you want some copies of this? Review copies, take a look at it, try this game out. And nobody was interested, he said. And then the game releases, and a few people like it, and word starts to build, and sales are okay. They're pretty good. There's you know, obviously a bump up from not selling it prior to release. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they're coming out of the woodwork, and everyone's like, oh, can you send us a copy? Send us a copy. We want to try this game. People are saying good things. Let us play it. So that's weird 
number one. They, so who's coming out of the woodwork press? Yes. Okay. So people knew who he was. They had been talking about him. But when it came time to actually play the game, prior to release, they weren't interested. Or they weren't paying attention. Or they weren't responding. Whatever it was. Right. Was he trying to contact them? Yes. Before the fact? Yes. Okay. And that's when they just weren't responsive to it, right? And then it releases. It gets a little bit of attention. And okay, now they want it. Great. So he got some attention. The sales do all right. But of course, they peter off relatively quickly. It's digital only, right? It's not in the stores or anything. That's how games are these days, at least for independent developers. And then it gets on Steam. And there is a a ridiculous huge spike, right? I would say out of nowhere, but it's not out of nowhere because we know it's related to being on Steam. Um, So sales go through the roof compared to any previous sales. Now, is this after they've gotten all that press that suddenly they got? Uh, Yeah, it was after that. And I think actually I'm describing it wrong. This is really unfortunate. I I should have remembered it more properly. There's a little spike when it hits Steam. It's when Steam puts it on the deal of the day. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's when... That's super high visibility. Yeah. But it, it's, so here's the thing. You say it's super high visibility, yeah. but it's still just visibility in a single venue, right? You could buy the game in many places, so it's just in this one venue. Well, what do you mean by venue? You mean like on Steam? Steam. Yeah, right, because you could right, buy the game before but, it was on Steam. But on the other hand, right, I mean, isn't that... Isn't that like deal of the day? Isn't that like something that like virtually everybody sees when they go to Steam? Um, I'm not familiar enough with Steam, but as long as you're hitting like the page that isn't just your collection, yeah, uh, you're probably going to see that. Yeah, I, I'm sure that they advertise that highly, right? No doubt about that. But it's still only on Steam, right? Like if you're just in the universe of gaming, but you don't happen to use Steam or you aren't on Steam that day, which I assume is pretty common. And I'm sure it stays on there for a couple days. It's probably not the deal of the day as much as it is the deal of a few days. Um, but to be honest, I don't even know. Point is, like, what if you just don't play games for a week, even if you are a Steam user? Or maybe you just don't use Steam and you buy your games in stores. Or maybe you buy them digitally but direct from the indie developer so that he gets more money than okay. if you were to buy it through Steam, right? There's a number of reasons people might not see it. But he gets a, a huge spike, more than he's ever seen, right? Like, like far and away bigger than, than any other sales uh, per unit of time that he's, he's had before. And then the, the problem there is that that is a very momentary spike, and it drops to almost nothing immediately afterwards. And it just stays like that. And so I'm, I'm realizing that, you know, we've talked for the last few weeks, actually, about digital distribution and, you know, ways that we could make changes to it to make it, either more interesting for the user or yep. more more like the retail experience for the user. And so we were talking about like being able to return games or resell games, stuff like that. But I realized that for indie developers in general, forget about Steam and the fact that it's digital dis- distribution, I think the biggest hurdle is marketing. Whatever that means to you, right? Getting the, the game into the heads well, of you, people you out there. Well, you see that like that's not always the biggest hurdle, though. So here's... For you, it might be obvious, right? For others, not so much. I mean, I mean, it depends on how you frame it when you say hurdle, right? But basically, I mean, it's it's funny because I think I mean it's, I think it's worse now than it's ever been, just because the market is, is more saturated now. I feel like than it's really ever been, regardless of what platform you're on. But it's like, um, yeah, I mean, like. It's it's a funny question I think to ask what's harder to make a good game or to market well a game. Right? Because there's so many games that yeah. have been marketed really well and have sold well and they're shit games and there's so many games that are great games that have had shit marketing support and have not sold well. Of course. Yes. But at the same time I would I would argue that having a good game to start is kind of like, I mean, that's very difficult right off the bat, but let's assume you have a good game. Like you said, yeah. obviously marketing the, the marketing can only be easier, but I like, I, th- I feel like marketing is one of these like really nebulous things because it's like, you never know. You never know how well you're really doing because there's no way for you to really like isolate like what you've done enough to understand how effective it was truly. You know, you can't really experiment with marketing because your marketing happens once. You can't really do it in like an experimental fashion 
in a closed system, you know? Well, that's not so true these days. There's a lot more you can do because a lot of marketing is online and stuff. It's never a one-to-one. I agree with you. Let, let me put it this way, right? Like, it's, 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 it's been famously said of marketers, right, uh, particularly, like, in the game industry, that, you know, the whole practice is so soft that a good marketer, right, isn't necessarily good at marketing. A good marketer is the one who can take successfully take the credit for when good things happen and successfully lay the blame elsewhere when bad marketing results happen. Yeah, but let, let me give you an example of one way you might, you might measure marketing. Um, very simply put, one form of marketing is advertising, right? And so these days on Facebook, you can target ads ridiculously, right? You can drill down. If I want to present a Facebook ad, I can say present it only to people in this country who speak this language, who have an interest in this particular university, and who are male and have a certain age, right? Like you can you can really drill down and target. So let's say you're targeting some group, right? And you put a little Facebook ad on Facebook and a bunch of people see it, great. And there are some sales. You can say, you can look at your sales data and say, there was a spike at this exact time when we did this ad to this group of people. But then at this other time, when we had an ad to a different group of people, there was you know different sales results. And the point is, you can experiment in a closed system and see results that it's harder to tell with certainty that it really was that ad that drove the business. But it's obvious when you look at a spike. But that's not my point. My point is that in the digital age, there's no retail space, obviously, right? You don't just walk in and look at what are all the things that are out these days and let's talk to the guy who's working at the store to tell me, well, uh, what's on the wall here? What part? Which ones are good and which ones relate to my tastes and all that? It's a very different story. And uh, we don't have to take a whole segment, but I want to talk about it a little bit more when we get back. So we'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Sponsored by the University of Advancing Technology at UAT.edu. Where Thank dreams are made. Yeah. That's True. not where you went, though, right? No. You went somewhere, I'm guessing, in, in Canada? I went to a school that lasted about four years. It was called CDIS, and they took a lot of my money, and then they went out of business. Oh, that's a shame. It was right beside EA. It was right beside the giant mega factory that is EA Sports Vancouver, BC. So wow. you so you made a dream. It just was somebody else's dream. Yes. But DigiPen used to be in Vancouver, and you didn't go there? DigiPen? Are you not familiar? I don't know, because I, I, I went into the industry, and then I got out, because I realized I like playing video games a lot more than making them. Ah, oh, it's a common mistake. This is... This, these yeah. are wise words, actually. Everybody, please listen. Yeah. I'm actually a writer. I write, I write, I write stuff, and I had this egoic joy joyful idea of creating games but not actually having to sit down and texture uh like like one of my teachers was a maya instructor and he textured um garbage cans for four months and i was like that doesn't sound fun thrilling and like and i would be stuck in a room with a lot of men who didn't have sex in a dark room in ea or something and i was like i think i'm gonna start a band and i'll reconsider the video game industry I like the idea of the creative, the creative creation of video games, but not really um, 
going through the grind of having to work my way through the corporation. Yeah, the truth is that games were made by a bunch of people not having fun, and a couple of the guys get to actually do the the creative part. Like Ara, actually, one of the lucky few. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm one of the lucky few. Who one gets of the to lucky have fun. few. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, <laughs> who get to do the creating without uh, without doing the building. Grass is always greener on the other side. <laughs> All right. Well, but I've, I always have remarked to myself that there there just isn't enough trash cans in video games. <laughs> so thank God there's somebody dedicating their life to that. Well, you know, you don't want to break that realism. Gotta have a good trash can every once in a the while. The pinnacle of my video game school experience was when I uh, I had to create a face in 3D of a man. Or my own face, actually. And it was so bad that I was walking past the class where they taught Maya. And there was um, my instructor had on the giant screen, the projector screen, my face blown up. And he was mock making it talk as the whole class laughed. <laughs> because it was very art-centric and I'm not a visual artist. So I was like... Oh, you know, and he saw me too, and it was really somewhat awkward. But you know, I got it. I got it. I sucked. So, well, you, you got to learn sometime. I went and considered slashing my wrists, and I stopped. And I said, "No, it's not that bad. It's not that bad." Speaking of slashing wrists, have you guys been online and seen the ads for the movie Sinister? No, don't know what that is. Okay, so negative. Listen, Tony, you and I have only known each other a short time, but you probably know someone who doesn't like needles and cutting. I'm googling this now. Yeah, just go to YouTube, at least if you're signed in. I don't know if it shows you the ad if you're not signed in, which is one thing I wanted to bitch about. Because if you're not signed in and it shows you that ad, totally uncool. Um, what is this, like a rated R ad? No, it's just it's a, it's a really wide banner ad. And this it's at the end of the, the trailer, too, if you watch the trailer on TV or online or whatever. And so, you know, it's a horror movie and lots of blood and whatever. So there's someone walking very close to a concrete wall, and this is... I guess, like the main horror character in the film. And uh, his hand is dragging behind him against the wall as he walks by uh, with the palm facing the wall. And as he walks by, it leaves this very thick trail of blood on the wall. And then the blood drips and the dripping reveals a face, which is related to the uh, plot of the film. But my point is, I go to YouTube today and out of nowhere, I see this just this dude with like this gashed wrist just leaving blood across a wall. And it's not for like a split second. It's for several seconds that I'm staring at this thing. I'm like, you know what? Not what I was interested in seeing right now. I didn't want I just didn't want it. Were you beside yourself? I was not excited. Was it too much emotional content for you to handle? I just I don't like needles. I don't like cutting. And the blood was at least it didn't faint. Just just remember Oh, it's the dude from Gattaca. When you're cutting, it's down the river, not across the street. Yeah, vertical. Yeah, with the wrist. No, I get it. Let's maximum surface Luckily, area. I'm not suicidal. Okay, so I was talking about marketing of digital. And so this guy's game gets really popular for a very short period of time. And I've stated, just like you stated, it was obvious, like marketing, huge hurdle. And that makes me think of just digital distribution down the line, right? It's... It's very much a rich get richer, poor get poorer scenario because whatever the the market chooses to show off in like the very limited space it has to show things off, like right. in the deal of a day scenario, right. um, that's going to do really well, and everything isn't. And it's a well, it's, it's. I mean, I think you're right that it is very much that way, and it's going to continue being that way. But I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, like maybe it was a little more balanced before, you know. But like. I mean, it, it just seems like in, in most, like, product, right? The I mean, the things that are popular, the things that are hyped, the things that are heavily advertised are the ones that get known. And if it's already well-known, then it's like, you know, it, you already have this, like, marketing momentum, you know? And it, once it's, it seems like once you get past a certain threshold there, right, that it's just like you can just glide. Because you just have the momentum already. And people who don't have that momentum, like, you're right. It's extremely hard to build that up. But it's, I think it's a funny kind of hard, right? Because it's not a hard – like, marketing isn't hard like making a game is hard. It's hard in unknown ways because it's, it's also hard, I think, in, in, in a lot stricter, more limiting ways, right? Because it's like, it's like an unknown hard. It's like you don't know – you don't always know what you could be doing that would work. If nothing's working, for example. It, it is certainly... I'll tell you one thing. It's not easy for the people who make the games. 
So in the case of an indie, indie developer, you know, they don't know marketing. That's not their thing. And they don't trust the marketers at all, uh, especially because it's kind of like a tight-knit group. And as soon as one marketer sort of screws over one of the indie guys, they all yeah, but the thing is, them like, and every like, other marketer. I'll challenge the notion that, like, they don't know marketing as if the marketing people, like, really, truly, like, materially can do better. Like, I, I would challenge that notion. Guys, guys, I have a question. So when you're talking about indie developers and marketing, are you, what platforms are you discussing? Like all platforms? Because I can tell you as a consumer how I purchase games on my iPhone or off the PlayStation Network, you know, and what games I've purchased. But I mean, as far as marketing, who are you, and indie developers, who are you talking about in general? So specifically right now, I'm talking about a game developed for PC, but it doesn't matter. It's the same thing where you've got one marketplace per device, right? So you've got the the Apple App Store and you've got the PSN, you know, shopping Well, it's, it's network, interesting whatever. actually that you say that because um, I just happen to have a story right here um, that uh, is based on some research by EDAR and they actually I, We represent... should not even give those people airtime. Really? I fucking hate those guys. Okay, well, we know you hate them just like you hate Me too. Ubisoft. But this is really interesting. Take it for whatever it's worth with a bag of salt, if you wish. Um, before I actually say what their results are, like I'll, I'll say that um, they actually found a very, very different profile of how people tend to find out about the games that they buy and download compare, when they compare, like let's say, um, like iPhone, like mobile phone stuff, to like, um, like PSN downloads and XBLA. So the first thing I want to do is I want to ask you, Tony, like, do you feel like you find out about games on like those two platform styles, like in the same ways generally or different ways? Well, you know, of course there's word of mouth. I have my gaming nerd friends and they're like, dude, you got to try this. But my own avenues are that I log into GameSpot and IGN. Those are really the only two gaming magazines that I really read. I mean... Um, I don't care who made the game. I just read the reviews. And then, you know, on my iPhone, I look at the star ratings in the What's Hot section. And, of course, everybody wants to be in the What's Hot, the new and upcoming game section. But I'll look at a genre like I really like strategy games, and I'll scroll through it, and I'll just look at the star ratings. And if it's over four stars, I'll read the user reviews. So I don't see what role marketers even have in that other than getting into those places where they can get reviewed. Okay, so let me let me say what Idar said, and we can decide if this is actually interesting or not. So according to them, for like mobile game downloads, word of mouth actually accounts for 50% of downloads, okay? And when you compare this to like um, XBLA slash PSN type downloads, they say that word of mouth only accounts for about 25 Well, that's how I hooked up with most of my girlfriends. Word of mouth. I um, I wonder if that has to do with the ease of purchase. And so that, like, if someone says word of mouth, oh, this game's really good. Well, it's only a dollar, so sure, I'll just give it a shot. And it doesn't even matter if it's good or not. Whereas games in, you know, XBLA and PSN or whatever are, I mean, they're not expensive, but 10 or 15 bucks, it's not just an off-the-cuff purchase. Yeah, but how would that account for the fact that people report way more frequently that they buy their games based on word of mouth on, like, iPhone, for example? Because I can buy it while word of mouth is happening, right? If you tell me it's good, it's like, oh, cool, let me just take out my phone and buy it real fast and I'll play it later, right? And uh, because it's a much yes. more flimsy sale, right, I'll just do it without any thought. doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Whereas the other devices obviously have to be in front of them um, and really be wanting to buy a game right now and a little bit more stingy with my money. But but it's probably that second thing about how I can just do it right there, buy the game right away. Yeah, so it kind of sounds like, at least to me, that, uh, you know, maybe maybe the people who are downloading the downloadable games heard about the game, right? But maybe they only decide to buy the game because it's a bigger commitment purchase. And then so they feel like they have to do more due diligence on it, whereas like on an iPhone platform... <coughs> Yes. As a consumer, as a consumer of PlayStation Network games, I will say that I do um, not part with fifteen dollars easily. So 
I do check out multiple reviews. Any game I purchase for 15 bucks because that $15 could be like, uh, you know, my next breakfast at Denny's. Yeah. But an iPhone game? $2. Who cares? Right? There we go. We'll be right back. We will definitely move on to some other topics. The the one parting point I wanted to make is that it's just going to be very different. And I've wanted for a long time, at least in my head, I've been envisioning the virtual retail outlet. Not so much with the people telling me what games are good, although I think there would need to be that, that element as well. You want to like browse through the, a fake 3D store, don't you? Kind of, yeah. right? Not just because I want like a 3D store. Um, it's more that I just want a wall of things. to. I want to look at covers of games basically and all y'all can go fucking live in the future as far as i'm concerned it's it's what i have a feeling it's going to happen because i go to netflix right and i'm like oh i want to see something on netflix right now let me look and i swear to god you cannot find movies on netflix unless you know the title and you actually search for it by title or it happens to be in the very few categories that so they display for you you just i think you know what i think that um what you really want the better search system. Just a really good searching interface and browsing interface. Well, it's not just searching. It's also recommendation. That's what I mean, but browsing I interface. You don't use Netflix, I don't think. But I have, I have used Netflix. But not commonly, right? You don't, you don't have it, right? I, I don't use it on a day-to-day basis. Okay. You go in there and it's like, here, recommended for you by name for, because you watch some other stuff and a few categories that are related to what you watch. Yeah, the, but software, it's not like, the software is a little jack. It's not every category. And on the PC, I think you can get access to every category, but yeah. not in your Xbox or your PSN. It's just like, here's the few categories we decided you care about. Everything else be damned. Right? So well, I can't just look at action movies this is, this is and the comedies. Perennial, this is the perennial problem of software, though. Like software, I mean, it's it's actually interesting. Software, like there's this expectation I think we have that software will just get better because something made later, you presume that whoever made it learned from all the things from what people made before it. But software doesn't get better. Software a lot of times gets worse. And in fact, I, I feel like a lot of times it even gets worse more often than it gets better. You know, like, okay, like my phone, for example, right? Like, you know, okay, my phone runs on potatoes, but it's a newer version of a phone than my last phone that ran on potatoes. And the software in my phone, my new one, even though it was like written like years later, is worse. It's just a worse interface. You know, I'm not going to get into all the details of why it's worse. Just take it, take my word for it. It is, you know? And so like these things like... um yeah, we're just we're just ne- we're not going to have good software until like it's just valued enough. And I, and I feel like with all these, I mean like look at all the stores. Like I think we have the same problem on all the digital stores, right? Which is that it's just it's just very I I mean it's funny because I I think that the problem isn't intractable at all. And yet like our browsing interfaces on like XBLA and on PSN and so on, like they're just so shitty. Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to say, that they are. there's a lot of room, or I should say there's a lot of need right now yeah. for someone to do it right and then have that experience just passed on to all of the stores because it's for Netflix and every other movie, digital movie provider that exists right now. Um, it's for all the game distribution systems. We need a better recommendation, a better filtering system, and we also need some way to help people market games. Cause I swear once we go completely digital, it's going to be all the big titles that, you know, are going to be advertised on TV, which mean, and by that, I mean all of the traditional methods, which sort of saturate our brains and we will definitely know they exist. Right. So think EA and Ubisoft and stuff. And then there'll be very little room for the indie devs who want to get a game out there. Who'll just be mentioned on a few blogs and they'll see these short spikes. Yeah. But also consider that this is really the first time in a very long time in the game industry where, 
um, indies can truly make competing products, competing games. You know, I mean, for a while, like the whole console space, right? I mean, except for like XBLA services and some of the PSN stuff, like completely when we were in like traditional console land, right? Like with PlayStation 2 and previous, it's that that whole market was completely impenetrable by independent developers, you know? And so at least, I mean, you know, it's not perfect. You know, we still got the same problems that we had with marketing. And I think we, we always will. I mean, we always will have those problems, I think, because there's always going to be a set number of products competing for attention. You know, that's what it is. It's the competition for attention. Yeah, but what I'm saying is there's less space to advertise product now. You're, you're right. Especially because people want it right now, right? Which means they're not spending the 20 minutes in a store looking and considering. They're like... What can I get right now? What's the thing they advertise here that's cheap or that is rated well or whatever it is? Let's get it real fast. And so we're not giving that attention. We're not exposing ourselves to these other games. The irony is... so it's like it's a major paradigm shift that I I can't wait to see how it plays out. Yeah. Well, the irony of all this is that, right, like the physical retail store, I mean, compared to like looking at a fucking screen is such a more sublime experience. You know, I mean, you can like see a whole bunch of things at once. I mean, like it's just right there. The the GameStop in my neighborhood has a really cute girl working at the counter, and uh, you know, I just want to reach out and touch her, but I can't because of um, you know the counter. It's really long, but yeah, I like going there. And uh, you get to actually interact with real human beings. Yeah, a girl that plays video games. She's really fun to talk to, and see actual games, which yeah. is and pick them up and look at the box and ask questions and talk about games with the people there, but I still buy stuff online. It's just not, it's still fun even buying things online, but it's not as fun as going out to the store and looking at the boxes. So I see a problem in our future is all I'm saying. We can move on at this point. All right. Why don't we move on to our friend uh, Dave. Remember last time we had a uh, voicemail message from him? Well, we didn't know it was him, but yes. Yeah, we didn't know it was you, Dave, but now we know it's you because you wrote us. And um, I have to – I don't remember what I said last week at all, but uh, I was under the impression, and this is totally my bad, that the game you mentioned, Ore no Riori, wasn't uh, an actual game. I just assumed that since uh, I hadn't heard of it that it didn't exist. Yeah, and, you definitely said it was not a real game. And and, and I was completely wrong. And so um, you know, I, I feel compelled to issue this retraction and apology. Um but it's actually – he was describing it to us. It's like it's a cooking game. You know? Didn't and it have actu- a bunch of different weird elements in it? Yeah, you can cook food. You pour beer. You count money. You stomp on roaches, clean dishes, uh, chase down and beat up non-paying customers. So it sounds to me like a totally not interesting game, but he loved it. It actually – like I mean it looked kind of cool. I watched the video of it. I could see I could see, um, I could see the appeal. It's funny because I actually have somewhere a different – PlayStation 1, this was PlayStation 1 too, completely different cooking game that involved you um, basically like, but this was about grilled foods only, you see. So the the genres in Japan can become very specific. So the other one was an order-taking game, and this one is an order-taking uh, grill-only game. Okay. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Awesome. And it was actually it's, it's actually really cool because you had like all these different – you had like meats and vegetables and like you know maybe a giant mushroom. And there's basically like six positions or like nine positions, like a grid on, on this grill, right? And you put the thing on the grill that gets ordered. And like every order, like you know, some want it like medium well, some want it like rare, whatever, right? But the cool thing is, is that like you can – like it's a very, very fast game, okay? Because all you do is that you just move your like – you have these chopsticks. That's your cursor. And you just move it on what position you want to manipulate, right? You either put something on there you, or you take it off when it's done or you flip it to cook the other side, right? And you can flip it back and forth. And the funny thing is if it cooks too much, then if you try to pick it up, you won't pick it up. It'll like, you know, shrivel apart in your chopsticks. Okay. But there's this other game, and, and Dave mentioned this too, there's this other game that was another cooking game. Wait, which one were you just describing? The grill-only game that you, you yes, liked? Yes, yes. Okay. Which, which shall go on nameless because I can't remember. Um, but there's this other game that I actually played a demo of on the 3DS, and it's called Order Up. 
Okay, and it's got like this, like you know, like that cartoon style where, like, you know, they try to make like characters look purposely ugly. Like it kind of looks like that, and um, it, it was just horrendous because I mean, like, not not like we were left wanting for more cooking games. Okay, but it, this was just like a horrible, horrible experience because, like, it looks like you know, in in Dave's game Oreno Riori, and then then one I just mentioned, right? The beautiful thing about it is that like all the action just takes place on one screen, you know. But in this game, like it's it's like it's like it had like a camera and like a cartoon like three D like you know behind the window and like a drive through, and so like you had like three or four different positions that you had to scroll through to do different things, right? You got to like cook something on the grill and then but you also have to pour a soda but the soda is like all the way on the other screen right and you just have to i don't know it was just so obtuse and so unpleasant i i feel bad for anybody who actually purchased it all right not as bad as that other game you got for the 3ds digital which one the one that you made me play oh yeah Uh, yeah not as bad no it's worse it's actually worse okay yeah, but I didn't have to pay for it, so I don't feel bad. Gotcha. Is there anything else we want to talk about regarding uh, Dave, Dave's letter here? No, I think we're done with Dave. So, uh, so thank you, Dave, for that once again. Still working on uh, Fly Killer Elite, by the way. Yes, he is. 2013, he says. Yes. Well, you know, quality takes time. It does. I just like how he, he leads off his descriptions with Alon was right. Alon was right. Well, I hear it so much. Do you? Somehow I think you don't hear it enough, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> I didn't say enough. I just said a lot. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, like he actually wrote that in an update or something on his, I think, I think he put it in an update on yeah. his uh, Kickstarter page. Well, as you know, right, they used to say that um, when you're trying to figure out how long a game's going to take to make, you always multiply by two. Yeah. But then, you know, there's been a misestimation inflation. So you have to multiply the two by two again now. By, so by four. Yeah. And I think in about three years, you're going to have to multiply by six. Yeah. Well, as people keep very small timelines, I think you're right. Yeah. All right. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was there's, there's this game that just came out on, um, on the digital storefronts. It's called Hell Yeah! Uh, one or two exclamation marks. Yeah. So I played the city three. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I was like, okay, this looks like a platformer. For some uh, incidental reason, uh, I've been playing a shitload of Rayman Origins. And lately, yeah, lately. Like, I know we played it for you know. Yeah, I'm actually, bit. I'm actually close to the end. It's tough, but um, you know, Ray- Rayman Origins, I kind of have like a love hate relationship with because like half the time I feel like I fail unfairly, but then how the other half of the time I feel like I'm unfairly successful. And so it kind of like evens out enough so that I don't feel upset that it, I'm being treated unfairly. I, I feel like I would still be upset. Yeah. Well, I, I am a little. But Hell Yeah brought a uh, whole new world of upsetness in my life. Are you going to find a master of science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. And we're back. 
It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. The website is chatterboxgameshow.com, and I'll remind everyone once again to go to uat.edu. It's a different website for the, the University of Advancing Technology. So many times I mis, mispronounce that. Anyway, um, we were talking about Hell Yeah. Okay, so, so this was... Um so I find this to be particularly interesting because you know you know how when you play a game, right? And you play a game for a whole bunch of times in a week and you get like really acclimated to that game and then you play another game that's similar to it in either function or mechanics and there's like you've been like so finely tuned to the first game that uh, like there's something feels off about the second one. Yeah, you ever experienced that? I think so. Although it's, I couldn't give you an example. It's um, yeah. So like it happens all the time. I think like one of the best examples is like if you play like PlayStation games a lot or Xbox games a lot, and then you switch to like a uh, a 3DS game, right? So the default button functions are like reversed between the 3DS, actually between Nintendo systems and all other systems, basically. Don't Nintendo and Sony follow the same? No. Sony and Japan... Nintendo follows the same as Sony in Japan, which would be yeah, like the rightmost button. That's would what be I meant. Except. Yeah, yeah. But, but here it's still X anyway. Okay. But so, so, right, like you'll play a game and you'll get like so accustomed to pressing like the far right button, like on the 3DS as the accept button. But then like you'll play an Xbox game and like that's canceled now. Right? And like you'll always find yourself like you'll find yourself like pressing the wrong button a bunch of times. Until finally, like, you get reacclimated, right? So anyway, like, I, I found this effect when I tried Hell Yeah. And um, it, was, it was really interesting because I found it in the dynamics of the jump, right? And I never really paid so much attention to uh, how mechanically, like, they actually... Like, I never really studied how they did the jump in Rayman Origins very carefully, you know? Um, but then when I play another platformer game like this, like this Hell Yeah, right? Like, it just, uh, it just seemed so, what's the word? Like, it's the difference between, like, a very, very, like, finely crafted thing and something just, like, randomly just, like, put together. It's got a very different focus, right? Like, when people write about this game, they write about the beauty of the art and the complexity of the art. There's so much going on on screen. Which one? Hell yeah! But the the funny thing is, is that like you could say actually a very similar thing about um, about Rayman Origins. Not in the way that you do with Hell yeah! It, Hell yeah is like someone uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Just wanted to fill up every inch of the screen with something going on. Yeah. Well, okay. It's interesting that you said that, right? Because the huge problem that I had, right, and like I'm not even going to play the game enough to actually like reacclimate to it, is that I kept on running into shit. That hurt me. That didn't look dangerous. Yeah, that's the game's very busy. And and visually. it was um and, and it's it's actually it's a, it was a real big surprise to me because normally almost every other experience that I've had with an extremely colorful palette game like Hell Yeah, like normally using such a a, a broad palette like that gives you the ability to express exceptionally well um, the read of the landscape as you're traversing it. In other words, like, you know, what's coming up in terms of, like, okay, like, is this dangerous to me? Is this, like, how can I interact with this? Is this this just the floor? Is it just the background? And so on, right? In general, even the 2D medium itself has advantages over the 3D medium in, in expressing this. You know, it's much easier, right? I mean, for obvious reasons, you know, because if you're walking on a 2D plane, you know, it's much easier to express, um, you know, how you're going to interact with the visual in a 2D landscape versus a 3D one where there's, like, perspective and shit involved, right? But it was, like, I just – it just seemed like such a massive failure to me. Like, how could they make a game so colorful and yet so hard to read? Yeah, that's that's one of the problems with it. You were talking about the jump before, and I yeah. don't know – I don't know if you can describe. Well, what there you mean, was like, 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 like I never really like. Let me just say, like playing Hell Yeah, like really allowed me to gain a new appreciation for the dynamics of the jumping in in Rayman Origins. Because is it just that it doesn't have as much um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? The, it's just not as fluid or like you don't have as much control over the height of the jump based on how long you hold the button. It's, it's interesting because there's – it's not like any one of those things in isolation. It's just that like the control scheme in Rayman just feels so much more sophisticated. And it's actually in a lot of ways like it's actually less direct in terms of like your input resulting in an output. Uh, I mean, I can tell like they're doing like heavy filtering of your inputs and I don't know what they're doing in hell. Yeah. Like it doesn't really seem as filtered. And and usually like I'm not a big fan of filtering inputs. I, I can explain what that is in a bit. But I assume like, you mean like in hell. Yeah. You jump and as soon as you let go of the button, the guy drops instead of continuing to go up. Um, like that. That, that's not that's not the example I want to use. But like, um, yeah, it just like the movement in hell. Yeah. feels like so much more direct. Right. But it doesn't feel like as well done and it doesn't really feel like it's actually even appropriate for um, the world that you traverse in. Like, for example, you move like way too fast, I think. So that just exacerbates the problem of you accidentally running into shit, even though like regardless of how fast you moved, you just don't like it's just harder to you just can't tell anyway, even if you move slowly. Right. But but the thing I mean about filtering, right? Like it usually you usually don't apply filtering in terms of like you know application of input versus absence of input. Like when you're letting go of a jump button, they usually do it in like maneuvering situations, right? So for example, like um, you know when you're when you're floating, I mean a lot of games do this, right? When you move the stick to turn right and left, right? It 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 adds an acceleration gradually, you know, that may be a function of how far you move the stick. But it's not like you – when you're floating in the air, right? It's not like you'll like go from like zero horizontal movement to max speed horizontal movement right away, which like if it was like non-filtered, it would like kind of feel like that. you know. And that ki- it kind of feels like that in hell yeah, but it just – see, I don't like filtered input normally. Like you got to be really, really careful with it because what you're actually doing, what you're telling the player is like, you know, I'm taking your input – I'm doing a whole bunch of black magic to it. I'm not telling you what, and I'm just letting you see the output. So if you're not really careful about it, like you can actually um, destroy like the latitude of control that somebody might have. Like a lot of times they filter input in order to like smooth things out or to, like make something easier, right? And a lot of times they, they destroy the latitude of control you have in that process. I don't feel like they did that in Rayman Origins, but it's funny because like in Hell Yeah, I don't feel like they really did much of any filtering at all. But maybe they and that needed makes to. it worse. Yeah, it made it worse, you know. Or maybe actually, like you know, maybe filtering is not an issue whatsoever. And I think that maybe they just picked like really, really bad uh, movement and jumping geometry compared to like what the world is like, you know, because those things have to match up. Yeah. So your complaints are two totally different complaints. One is the control, and the other is the visuals just being crazy. Yeah. I'm I'm really disappointed. I'm really disappointed because you can't. But it's getting a lot of good press because of the visuals, which is what. Yeah, because you're because they don't it. because they don't play the game because they just look at the game like oh this looks like a good game. I can tell you that's sort of how it was presented when I was playing it, and I think the developer was right there. And by the way, I think the game is essentially made by one guy. Um, oh. I'm, sh- I'm sure he had some helpers for certain things, but it was basically one dude. We'll find. Um, yeah, I mean, I should substantiate that, but I'm I'm pretty sure. Anyway, it. Uh, I mean, it certainly build has just this beautiful game with tons going on, but it doesn't even I don't think look that, that beautiful. It. I mean, it just looked like busy. You know, is busy well, beautiful? I mean, it's it's interesting. It's like it's macabre and it's colorful and there. It's certainly interesting to look at, but at the same time, the gameplay I thought was lacking and it was hard to understand what was going on on the screen, which is one reason I didn't like it that much. Yeah, so. I mean, I've I've certainly read really really. Um, polarized reviews you know and i wonder is that why you wanted to bring it up just to basically say that visuals don't always make the game it's no wing commander one oh geez that's true that's my okay now that you mentioned it tony okay now i have to tell our listeners okay so um before the show i was telling these guys here that i don't think that most of our listeners would remember wing commander and you guys disagreed so listeners now it's up to you to tell us who was right. I uh, yeah, I was saying that. I think our listeners are about as old as us. Yeah, for the most part, people who write in at least say that they're they're about our age. You're probably right. 
Yeah. But I still don't think they'll remember. And if you are a, a younger listener, you should play Wing Commander. <laughs> I don't know that I could support that. <laughs> you know, this this actually is uh, relates to something that I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, do you mind if we move on past past Hell Yeah? We're totally done with Hell Yeah. Okay, so... Hell Yeah, so, I don't mind. So, like, three weeks ago, I read this thing about how GameStop is looking at selling vintage games again. Have we already discussed that? No, they want the to show? sell vintage games, huh? Yeah, so as, as an ex-employee of the GameStop and various game stores, right? Especially Funko Land, which used to specialize in old stuff. Now I can say uh, what we used to call it. Which is? Fuck No Land. Oh, because we're on podcast, yeah. <laughs> so Funko Land used to do a lot. Like That's the only place you could go buy old NES games and stuff years right. after it's it was done. But GameStop moved in, took over, got rid of all the old stuff, and they'll periodically get rid of things. For instance, uh, GameStop doesn't sell GameCube anymore, I think. You may right? be right. Like, it's past Nintendo 64. I think they also cleared out game, uh, GameCube recently. And that just shows you how how valuable their real estate is right now, right? They need just the newest games and not the old ones. Sure. But now we've moved into this era where they've decided we will start selling vintage. And I think what they'll probably end up doing, although they haven't announced this, is have stores that are dedicated to vintage because you, I mean, you need the space. You're not going to be able to share it. GameStops are already too filled to the brim. I wonder, like, this doesn't make any sense to me. It won't work, man. Emulation. The vintage market to emulation. Why? What I need to I agree. I don't think there is. But if you had, like, one store... Right now, there's probably 10 GameStops in any big city, and you could have one vintage store. Yeah. And that way, you could use all of the GameStops to bring in the you used know what, stuff you know what there must be? and ship them to one store. This is, this is, here's my theory. Okay, They've got to have like a massive surplus of like uh, common old games that they just can't think of what they're going to do. No, I think they're, they're working on getting new stock. I mean, it's sort of what they were talking about. But um, I just... I wanted to talk a little bit, we're not going to have time for this, but I want to talk a little bit about nostalgia and how it's really overvalued. Um, and I'm not convinced that old games are good generally, right? Like I usually, like I don't want to go back and play a game from five years ago because it is almost guaranteed to not be as good as the games I play these days. And that's not always true. There's oh, you're still making a, my blood boil, brother. There's still a couple games from back in the day that are good. They're right? in... But, not that many. And today, there's not that many good games either. I will, I will even say my parting words are that I don't think that the quality of games has really, truly, generally improved over time. I don't want my ex-girlfriend. Yeah, well, there you go. Same idea, right? But, like, I can think of a few games on NES that yeah. I like. Like Solomon's Key and Super Mario Brothers games. And that's pretty much it. I will bring next time some truly awesome old games all right well for consideration in the next year you might be able to find some of those games at a GameStop, apparently no, or at very you least won't online. find any of the good ones but <laughs> you're probably right about that anyway end of the show everybody thank you so much for listening chatterboxgameshow.com is the website thank you so much for tony uh for for joining us you might be here next week as well and you might even talk more goodbye good night guys You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.